So a pun, a play on words, and a limerick walk into a bar. No joke. Jokes can be awesome. Because what do you get when you cross a joke with a rhetorical question? You get silence. Oh man, a hyperbole totally ripped into a bar and destroyed everything. Jokes can be awesome. What's the best thing about Switzerland? I don't know, but the flag is a big plus. Today we're talking about jokes on Behind Every Story. What's up everyone, my name is Jason and this is Behind Every Story. If this is your first time with us, let me explain what's happening. I love stories, from comic books to films, songs to jokes, sitting around a campfire with a single person to sitting in an audience being enveloped by a storyteller. I love hearing people's stories, and even more so, I love learning what happens behind those stories. This show is the proverbial director's commentary on the movie of life, and this week, we're discussing jokes. When I was growing up, it became kind of abundantly clear in the 80s and 90s that people were put into two social castes. You had the popular kids and the unpopular kids. While the popular kids could get away with being handsome or pretty and pretty much riding out their skill set on that while even having a less than stellar personality sometimes, I found it as a chubby kid who was unpopular, I had to make up for that. And I found that humor was an amazing connector between the great divide. I would work on my timing. I would work on jokes and memorizing jokes and even more so memorizing jokes in a certain pattern so that they would call back to previous jokes. I believe growing up, everyone had to have at least a couple jokes in their armory for any kind of situation. And I loved telling jokes. I loved being entertaining, hence why I'm doing a podcast today. And I've never been able to joke as smooth transitionally, if that is a term, than with my friend John Savast, who will be on our show today. And I'm super excited to have him back because in high school, we were the comedy element. Granted, all my friends were very funny. All of them brought something to the table joke-wise. But when John and I were able to get together at a party or something and work back and forth, it was very seamless. So telling a joke, I think, is as much an art form as the joke itself. Mostly described in one of my favorite all-time jokes is the purple gorilla joke, which we will talk about at length in the episode coming up. But I believe that a joke is 90% how you tell it and 10% punchline. Because I've heard terrible jokes told amazingly well, and I've heard amazing jokes told extremely poorly. I think it all comes down to how you tell it. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will be joined by John Savast. And we are going to delve into 
why jokes work, where they come from, and are they in fact universal? All of this comes into question, and I even change my beliefs on the second half of Behind Every Story. What did the fish say when he swam into a wall? Damn. Jokes can be amazing and they can be terrible, but jokes are phenomenal aspects of our lives as humans that we can share no matter where you come from or really is that the case at all? Robert Hetzrin, a linguist, defines a joke as a joke is a short, humorous piece of oral literature in which the funniness culminates into the final sentence called the punchline. In fact, the main condition is that the tension should reach its highest level at the very end. No continuation relieving the tension should be added. As for its being oral, it is true that jokes may appear printed, but when further transferred, there is no obligation to reproduce the text verbatim, as in the case of poetry. And I think this is a very good definition. I think it sums it up that jokes can be orally told, jokes can be printed, but jokes don't have to be verbatimly told. And I think that is one of my favorite aspects of jokes is the turning of a joke. It's making it your own and evolving into something possibly even better than it was, which is a good detail that we are about to go into with today's returning guest, John Savast. We're back again with my very, very best friend, uh, John Savast. John, thank you for joining us again. Thank you. Uh, today, we're talking about jokes. Ha! I know, that that was it. Okay, thank you for joining us. That was a great podcast. Um, what is is the secret of comedy. I don't know. Timing? I got horrible. You, you stole Timing. my you stole my punchline. <laughs> you you got to say it at the end or yeah. the middle while you're talking. Timing. Moo! Interrupting cow. Um I I don't know. I mean, I don't what what say the question again? Do I remember? don't even remember. But let's break this down. Jokes are universal. No matter where you go in the world. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, um, I would ask my dad that we were watching some movie in Russian. I, th I think it was Spies Like Us. And um, I remember they're Russian. And I asked my dad, I said, Dad, do Russians laugh the same way we do? Or do they make a different noise when they laugh? And he said, I don't know. And then we watched the movie and sure enough, you know, thank you, Spies Like Us, for te teaching me <laughs> world connection. Um, but jokes are universal. So why are jokes universal? Um, I mean, I don't think the jokes are universal. I think that, um, I remember reading, oh, I wish I could remember the anthropologist, uh, who did space. What is his name? John. You want me to stop the podcast yes. and just, no, <laughs> yeah, I do. um, anyway, uh, there, there's the idea that you have like, it, it, it's essentially like highbrow and lowbrow. That's what he talked about. Okay. We think we get jokes. We think they're universal, but, um, when I tell people about anime, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I tell mm-hmm. them I can't really get an anime, and the reason for it is is because I'll never really fully understand anime. There's like there's parts of jokes, the way that they grab their arm, the way the real reasons why they give the peace sign, mm-hmm. the real reasons why the girls win, why there's tentacles. There's all these like weird idioms and things that like. I mean, I just named off a bunch of things that I can read about, but to fully like fully understand them, you have to know their culture. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an anthropologist named uh, Edward T. Hall uh, who wrote a book called Beyond Culture, where he talks about high culture and low cult- culture. Uh, he specifically said that Japanese culture is a high culture. You have to have a very knowledgeable understanding of it. You had to live in it. You had to be there. You know, be born into it mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. understand a lot of the nuances of what it is to be Japanese and all those things. Um, and I think jokes are the same way. I think there's a lot of jokes that you're not going to get. A lot of jokes. Um, there can still be like lo- low brows for everybody. You know, everybody's going to laugh at uh, the Three Stooges, except for my wife. She doesn't like. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> my wife loves Three Stooges. It's one of the reasons I love her. Um, but you'll have like your lowbrow jokes. The proverbial fart joke. The proverbial fart jokes. Chris Farley was like one of the greatest lowbrow guys because mm. like he was just great at making anybody laugh. Mimes are making are great great at making everybody mm. laugh. Um, so would you consider lowbrow more universal? I would. I think. Well, and then let me reiterate what I said before. I think not all jokes are are, are universal. I think I think lowbrow are universal, but once you get the highbrow, um, it's a little bit more difficult, more pretentious. You know, it's essentially going down the rabbit hole, which you actually give like a really great. I've your your great uh, take on rabbit hole stuff is actually really interesting, and it makes me think of a lot of, you know. The the deed of going down the rabbit hole. It can be... And another episode we will definitely uh, yeah, dig down. Yeah, going yeah. down to the rabbit hole. But um, a way that I would uh, use joke When I was in the military, uh, I was stationed in a lot of different places. And it was like the first time where where I had to like actively get along with people I've never met before. You know, before... You know, you go, the only time where they're like, there's this great changeover would be in between, well, when you first start school, um, could be like you're doing sports, maybe like that, but not on a real small scale. Like usually you do mm-hmm. a lot of them before. So your, your different breakups of education, grade school, junior high, high school, but at least maybe with college. most of the time, those elements, you're going in with the same people. Yeah. Same people. Everybody's kind of the same thing. Uh, with the military, you're taking people from all over the world yeah. and you're kind of like jumbling them up and throwing them into a situation where like nobody's really, I guess everybody's comfortable because they're not comfortable, but, um, it's always difficult when you have to like be the new guy, mm. the FNG, FNG, the fucking new guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a way I would kind of make my presence known, um, see where everybody else stood, but, but, but let them know about me was to tell a really stupid joke. <laughs> I would just, I, or I would just tell jokes in general and you can gauge, uh, by the way, other people handle it on like who you're dealing with. Like, yep. okay, this is the guy that laughs at these jokes. You know, this, this is what I can, this is what I can joke around with them. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the person that doesn't think these things are funny. Mm-hmm. This is what you don't do with them. Um, or I would tell like really long, horrible, um, jokes. I would tell the aristocrats joke. Yeah. No, no, this was, I did this afterwards. I, I have used the aristocrat joke to, to gauge a situation. Um, for those that don't know the aristocrat joke, it's the, the world's dirtiest joke, usually held sacred by, uh, more vaudeville, vaudevillian, um, comics. Um, this is like the joke that would tell behind doors. Of and seeing, there's a fantastic documentary about it called the aristocrats. The aristocrats. 
Um, but it was always just a great, a great, it was always a great way to just like judge a person mm. or not judge, but like just gauge what's going gauge on. Them. That's a good sense. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I'd be able to even like bring a joke out. Um, I think a lot of the jokes, there's a lot of jokes that I remember reading with you when I was like 16 years old and yeah. I just like put them to memory. Back when online was first starting. Yeah. We had, now you prodigy. can't tell a joke at all. Yeah. It's like true. there's, and you know what I've noticed is a lot of them aren't that good. Hmm. It's just here we go. Um, when the internet first started, uh, there was a lot of jokes that kind of like filtered their way up to lists. When it was version 1.0 of the uh, the internet, okay, you know, you'd have to like somehow find a website, but pre Google, uh, pre Yahoo, but you would like like if you typed in, if you tickled the beast just right, you could get it to show you something cool, mm-hmm. and we would find our ways to these internet sites that have these amazingly funny, witty jokes. But like so many 90s garage bands, they spent their entire lives building up to that first album, and it just hasn't been that great ever since. Right. Like now it just kind of billows out these the, the smoke, you know, of garbage jokes. I think in jokes, I believe, I granted this is not, this is a high, high hyperbole, but I feel so many jokes now are the one-liners, the puns, the quick turnaround, let's get on with the rest of the day kind of thing, the one-panel comic strip mentality. When I remember looking at jokes online with you, it was one joke would be several pages of internet, and half of the joke was us realizing that they were messing with us, trolling. They they were it was they were trolling with us without being rude. That we were in on the joke at the very end, and it was like, oh, I saw what you're trying to do here. This is amazing. I'm gonna ruin everyone else's day with this. <laughs> but I I think. And the joke I'm referring to is the little Johnny joke who goes to the circus and a clown berates him. And yes. then he comes back, and I'm not going to give the punchline away because one day we'll probably tell it. But um, we spent easily an hour, easily an hour reading this joke, scrolling through the pages. And we got to the end, and it was just this giant elation of realization that, oh, we're invited in on this joke with you because we wasted so much time. It's, it was an effort. A written Andy Kaufman. Yeah, joke. exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that that's the humor. The humor isn't the punchline. It's not the brain tickler. It's the nut kicker at the end mm. that kicks you while you're down, but then helps you back up and says, you ready to go tell someone else? Yeah, kind of. I mean, and or, or even on top of that, so, I think Andy Kaufman went, he did a college show somewhere where he just stood on stage and stared at the crowd. And for an hour. And yeah. he literally, he didn't leave until everybody left. And I think not only could it be the joke of like realizing that you're part of the joke, <laughs> but there is part of it where you. If you get it, and this is like where the pretentious stuff comes mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. I would stay to just watch other people get angry. Right. I just want popcorn at that point. It's like, this is going to be good. Then it becomes a Fast and the Furious movie where you don't, you're not there to watch the movie. You're there to watch everyone else go, wow. Watch everybody watch the movie? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, speaking of being pretentious. <laughs> and I am. I'm, I'm not going to shelter it. But 
where does the lowbrow become the highbrow? Um, man, uh, I wonder like after a while, like, like a family guy joke where like, if you do it enough times, it becomes funny again. Mm-hmm. I wonder, I don't know. I, I, I think you probably need something that's like, like culturally rich and kind of like rolled around enough times into the gutter to be elevated to this thing like lobsters mm. after a while lobsters were used to be prison food but after a while you know it ended up just being something that only rich would eat or you know really yeah i didn't know that yeah so that's like, like the word ain't ain't was only used by high society until poorer people started using it and then the high society said that's not a word anymore yeah or was it ending in a preposition? Mm-hmm, which is I, totally acceptable. I remember reading. I had a I had a professor who refused to talk to me when I would say things such as, "Where is this at?" Mm-hmm. And he would be furious with me and be like, "I don't know. Everybody speaks like that in the suburbs." Or like, I I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a poor piece of shit. I don't know. But. Well, no, because even like language, jokes evolve to a more universal mindset. And like we were talking about earlier, you have the lowbrow humor, which is, and I don't mean lowbrow as in like, that's beneath me. I mean, lowbrow as possibly more universal that I could tell a fart joke in, in American society and then go to an African society where the Western civilization has not been built up yet. And I'm sorry, farts are funny. Farts are always going to be funny. Yeah. (laughs) I, I hope so. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I wonder if, like, if evolutionary farts evolved because they were, um, they were like icebreakers or not an icebreaker, but like something to break the tension. Mm. You know, when you fart, you eat that like post meal, what happens post meal, like you usually had to like fight to get it or something like that. And I don't know. I, I would like to think that the fart evolved as a way to make everybody around the fire laugh. And I will say we probably lost about half of our listeners right now. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about higher points of farts. Ask Mel Brooks. See, Mel Brooks is one of those comedians throughout history that I always find walked an amazingly razor sharp line between the two. Do you think that he did? I, I think, think he absolutely I think, did. I think comedy has changed a little bit. I think that lowbrow is what has been uh, more readily available. Mm. Um but now we're inundated with so much information that, like, I don't know, like you want something weird, you know, you want your chocolate with crickets in it or something. Yeah. Like that, just well, to I mean, that that's where all these weird films come from, where it's like, yeah, we, we 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 can have a cyberpunk horror film, but can we have a building become a geisha robot? Absolutely, we can. Yeah, we can. <laughs> and that's why there's subgenres to everything, just like there's subgenres to humor. Um. I already talked about this, but in college, I knew a kid who, kid, you know, he's my age. I knew someone who uh, refused to laugh at a joke unless it had pirates in it. (laughs) And we would literally... Even hearing that makes me want to laugh. Right? Yeah. But we would literally just tell a joke and just add a pirate in, and he'd find it hilarious. But if a pirate was not in the punchline or not in the setup... It, it wasn't even on his radar. He had no interest. That was, uh, there was a kid that I knew uh, who, to make anything better, he would just add the the ad line, and then I found $5. It was really funny. He was real clever. I remember I was older. I was like 30. He was like in high school. 
And I remember him saying, you know, he came to like, he gave me like a real long answer of why he did it. He's like, you know, you can't say that you found $10 because that's too much, 10 or 20. He's like, and $1, nobody cares about. But $5 is just the right amount of money to make anything just a little bit better. Like, you are genius. That is, and it does make anything better. And you just, you just say anything and just say, and then I found $5 mm-hmm. and it makes anything better. Like, oh, you know, I, I went and I saw, I saw the new Star Wars today. You know, it was pretty cool. But then I found $5. You're like, wow, that's, okay. that's just a little bit cool. They caught me off guard. Yeah. <laughs> you don't see a fiver laying on the ground very often. I don't know. Hold on a say. That's true. 10 feels like someone's trying to pull one over on you. It does. It's too easy. 10 is, 10 is like the highest number because that's what you can do with your hands. That's just one hand. It's a high five. There is no number higher than than ten. No, that's true. Except for eleven. Shoot, eleven teen. Damn, there is no number higher than eleven. <laughs> um, for those of you who not in the know, I'll probably cut this out. <laughs> Hold on, let me just make some loud noises so I know to cut this shit out. Ah! Ah! <laughs> um, that was from uh, Mr. Show. When the gangsters are all like, like how, how many people did you kill? I killed 10. That's how many numbers there are. <laughs> it was like, what about 11? I killed 11. Oh, God. Mr. Show is the greatest. It's the greatest show to, f- well, the transitions. Oh, no. We're genius. Without a doubt. That in the very first season of, of uh, the awesome show, great job. Oh, I just rewatched that show. Is it hold up? It's so amazing. Really? Yeah. Good. I mean, I you, like to hear that. I think one of the best elements about Awesome Show is uh, that's Tim and Eric's Awesome Show. T- Tim and Eric's Awesome Show. Great job. Yes. Um, is that they did it so low quality that I think it'll stand the test of time moving forward. Now, now how we said before, like what makes it highbrow. It's because it rolled around in the system for a while. Mm. What they did was they emulated, um, they emulated like poor, like PB, not PBS, like, uh, like local broadcast. Yeah, they 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 mimic that. Yeah. So the language already exists. Right. So they, if you emulate the that people who've seen it before will usually think it's funny because you know you can like say you know add it together, and that's why I think. Really, really terrible movies are fun, like The Room or Birdemic, because I've gone way out of my way to study highbrow film. That's like how lighting should work in a film, how pacing should work in a film. And then you watch Birdemic and it just breaks everything, but it breaks it to a point where it's like, because you know the audio should not just dip out for a whole scene. That we should have some kind of background noise. That when it does, that's hilarious. Do you think that that's then really, really bad is a higher form of funny? Because you have to be in the know to know that it's bad. I think you can watch it for the entertainment value and be like, this is silly. But I think by understanding why it's funny, it makes it even funnier. Because they broke, they intentionally broke all the rules. I, but they didn't intentionally break it, and or that's why did. I think it's even funnier. Or they did. I no, don't know. But now you, then you have movies like um, Black Dynamite. Black Dynamite. Thank broke you. It. That's the one I was thinking of. They intentionally broke all those rules by calling them out with the microphone on top of the head and the breaks in the film where it's obviously a jump cut. 
but that's all scripted and that's all on purpose. And there's very few movies that do that well. I have a hard time even thinking of Kentucky Fried Film. Uh, Kentucky, Kentucky Fried Movie was a good one. The Onion Movie was a good one. They broke a lot of conventional film things, but those were intended to be comedic in a skit type fashion. Where Black Dynamite tried to make a black exploitation film from the sixties and seventies, and they did. It, it it was one wonderfully so. Yes. Um. But yeah, I think that's where. Uh, Tim and Eric Awesome Show really comes through as as funny because they know what they're doing. They're mimicking it and then recreating it kind of to the nth degree. Um, what is that? Kung Fury? Mm. The one where <laughs> I was bit by a cobra and simultaneously struck by lightning. Don't want to spoil it alert, I guess. Yeah, but... <laughs> I think that was in the first minute, so yeah, I, I think you're okay. <laughs> That's another one where it's just that one's fantastic. We're like we're the uh, the VHS tracking again. Yes. The language, yes, the language. Where you know, like, because we're it's the part, the part that would be ruined by the tracking was always your favorite part because the thing that got ruined by the tracking was the things that you rewinded to to the most. Right. So it was funny because a whole part of the movie was erased because of tracking in the movie, and it was part of the movie. Mm. It's genius. It was super funny. It was like the greatest, if, yeah, if you don't have the budget, tracking. <laughs> it was genius. <laughs> Absolutely genius. I love that. Um, so tell me a joke. Wow, right on the spot. Right like on the that, spot huh? like this. No transition because we don't do high, highbrow here. I know. Well, now I got to <laughs> think about a non-dirty joke. That's the hard part. So I think this is a really good uh, topic is as you're growing up and you tell jokes, you always have that slight small arsenal of like three or four that you can whip out at a party things like that and you always have the crowd pleaser and ours at least to me ours was the purple gorilla joke yeah i love the purple gorilla joke now i'm not gonna tell it right now i'm not gonna tell it either uh it's it's but let's explain what it is the purple gorilla joke is a party joke where everyone's done dancing for the night you're kind of done drinking you're everyone settling down and you get up and theatrically perform either through voice or actions. I always like getting sweaty and jumping around and dancing with it. Um, you tell this minimum half an hour joke. Minimum. That's the first act. Yes. It should um, be. You told it once at an hour and a half. And I have the recording somewhere and it's glorious. And the joy of the joke is it's never told the same way twice. You always change things up you change some aspect of it and you don't do it on purpose you do it because you're in the moment things are changing and then you also react to how everyone's reacting to you so it's a lot of it's improv but the bones are still there uh the bones are guy finds a house i don't want to go too too deep into this because oh, no. even the explaining will be take too uh, long guy's car breaks down guy's car breaks down these are this go, is the go, premise. go ahead give us the premise. the premise is that um you don't know why but a car a guy's car breaks down He's looking for help. There's a, you know, fill in the blank castle, mansion, cave, find mm-hmm. something in the woods. Uh, he gets help from a guy and he asks to use the telephone. Mm-hmm. And he goes through the guy's home. It's immaculate. It's, yeah. it's beyond looking for rich. this telephone. And he, the guy, the guy gets bit by the, by the green eyed monster. Mm-hmm. And it's the story of what happens. Right. Well, that's the joke. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's the escalation it's, of it is. It's the same premise as uh it's the same premise as the is the aristocrats joke, but not mm-hmm. really intended to be dirty per se. Just intended to hope to God that somebody gets mad at you for telling you the joke. <laughs> that's really that's what it is. Have you ever told your wife the joke? I have. She absolutely hates it. I've never told my wife the joke. I, I, there is I, no I way. I want to be there. There is no way she would listen to me that long. No, no. <laughs> there is no way. No. She An- listens Andrew to my long winded. pretty quick. Yeah. My my <laughs> wife realizes that I get. <laughs> yeah. She she wouldn't take a bout of that that long. No, I think. Behind every great man is a woman rolling her eyes. So that's. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can tell the joke shorter, but. The point of the joke is to exhaust your audience. Yes. And by the time it finally hits, it's so underwhelming that you can't help but laugh because, again, you're in on the joke at that point. Oh, yeah. You become the joke. And you become the joke. Yeah. yeah, Or or, or more so, like, a joke's been played on you. Right. Yeah, I'm not telling the joke. (laughs) I I don't have it in me right now. But... Do you have an arsenal? Do you an have arsenal? any go-to? So, I, no. And I will tell you, um, the sword gets dulled when you don't get to use it very often. Um, I work in an office, and uh, it's not really set up for me to tell jokes. Mm. Um, I also don't... I used to work a lot of... Um, manual labor type jobs, mm-hmm. sales, manual labor jobs and stuff like that, where it was, you had a better opportunity to tell jokes. Right. Um, Environment, I think plays a huge yeah, key. Role. I think, uh, I think the, the knives are getting a little, little dulled in the drawer mm-hmm. since I started working at an office. I don't, there's a lot of jokes I couldn't tell. Like the thing that I would do in the military, I don't think I would get away with now. Or maybe it's because I don't want to lose my job and it was fine. Like, I don't know. Like, I wonder. I wonder about that. And this was something that, like, you and I spoke about. Like, when you get out of school and you feel like you're not using your... You're not using the think meat like you used to anymore. Right. And I... Man, I hate that. I hate and that And it lot. does dull. When I came out of school, I was chip on my shoulder and I was very... I don't want to say smart, but I felt like I was very smart. And I searched out for other P people to have those communications with, to talk a little more higher brow. Mm-hmm. Uh, the older I get, the more I realize that that's not important anymore. It's more important just to enjoy life and then find people who enjoy life as well. And then I still like having those conversations. I like having the conversations too, but I don't look down on the people who don't want to. I, I, I feel like a, I did. Yeah, no, I understand. And, you know, and I think a lot of people, and not all the time, but I think a lot of people feel like... Um, Talking about yourself is like pissing your pants. It's hot to you, but not anybody else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I should be laughing right now, but I, I've heard you say it like three yeah, or four times. I know. <laughs> but I mean, that's what it is. It's like, I don't know, like you don't want to, uh, you don't want to get caught like rambling on. I do it to my wife all the time. I feel, I love her so much and I feel so bad for her. She gets like the brunt of my long winded, like a thing will happen. I'll be like, I have no class to listen to me and I'll just be like, I'll get on my I wouldn't at this point it's not even a milk box it's just my corner of the couch and I'll and I'll just <laughs> ramble on like for 45 minutes and she's like yeah okay all right so how, how I should just do it while I'm mowing, I should just do it while I'm mowing the lawn you should I just talking to myself you should record it while you're mowing the lawn and then put that online 
All yours. Yeah. <laughs> and then you just laugh. Because <laughs> in your head, you're killing it. So what is a good joke? Not a good joke to tell, but what is a good uh, way to tell a joke? Because I, I think having candor and some kind of cadence is very important. Um, Because I, I can tell you a joke completely deadpan, like Stephen Wright. And it's not going to be the same way as someone telling a more melodic joke. I think some people are better at deadpan than others. I don't oh, think absolutely. I couldn't tell a deadpan joke to save my life. Oh, I, I couldn't either. That. I'm too bubbly and fresh and happy. Yeah, I'm just ruining everybody else's <laughs> Look how happy I am. But what is a good way to explain a joke? Not explain a joke, but to tell, tell a joke. So oh, something that I do a lot mm-hmm. is I will make them think that I'm going to tell them something important, essentially. Or I'll I'll start to tell them a story, and after a while, they'll realize that I'm kidding. Mm. For example, and your father told me this one, and I really love it. Um, usually around, like, the early May, he'll say, um, he'll be talking about something, and I'll, I'll go to make a sandwich. And as I'm making sandwich, I'll put the ham on there. And I'll put some tomatoes on there, you know, and I get it together, and then I'll go grab my thing of mayonnaise. And I'll go to put the mayonnaise on there, and I'll look at the, somebody, and I'll say, did you know that uh, Mexico was one of the greatest importers of mayonnaise in America at the 20th century? They'll say, no. I'll be like, yeah, it's a true story. They loved mayonnaise. Mm. Nobody would ever thought it. And what ended up happening was... Is um, when the Titanic came over, they had this massive shipment of mayonnaise. But then, as we all know, it hit an iceberg and it sank. And every year they celebrate it with Cinco de Mayo. Fingus is yucky. Now, if you're somebody who always is just, like, spouting off useless facts... Right, right. I love to sprinkle bullshit in there yes. every once in a while just to keep them on their toes. Because it makes you pause for a second and go... And it's best R- when... Really? Like, yeah, when one of them will go, like, is that is that a real thing? I've told that joke, and somebody just be like, did that really happen? I was like, oh, I don't want to explain it. I like to, whenever, like, uh, a celebrity will come on the radio or the TV... I'll name someone else, and I'll be like, so uh, Cher comes on, and I'm like, Alicia Silverstone is hot. <laughs> and whoever, whoever I'm with looks at me like I'm the dumbest person alive. <laughs> yes. And they're like, that's not Alicia Silverstone. And I'm like, oh, no, dude, I'm just a big fan. I just, I just want you to know. Um, and it's gotten to the point that I do it with my wife. And she starts doing it back to me, and then it catches me off guard. I'm like, you know this song, this uh, 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 Inter Sandman by the Rolling Stones? I, I Mick Jagger's got it down. And she's like, he did great in Bohemian Rhapsody. And I was like, damn it. So, yeah, it's, uh, I think, who you're with, what you do, the culture, everything kind of comes together. But I think one thing we can say is we all love jokes. One of my favorite aspects of 
talking with other people and hearing their stories is having my own beliefs questioned and challenged. And I believe that makes me an all around better person because now I'm opening my mind to something that previously I had only thought one way about. And even if it's as simple as cultural relevance of humor, I believe the rest of my day is better and the rest of my life is better because of it. And it makes the world that much more of a connected place, just like storytelling in general. And jokes are the very fundamental aspect of storytelling. So always be sure to be on the lookout or listen out for those amazing stories because sometimes those stories can seemingly come out of nowhere. What is your favorite joke? Email us at behindeverystory at gmail.com. Or better yet, you should record yourself, send us an MP3, and we'll play it on the next episode. We would love to hear it. Great stories can be universal, or sometimes they can be extremely close to home. Great storytellers make the world a smaller place and a much more intimate place. Thank you so much to all the great storytellers out there, big and small. And thank you so much for joining us here on Behind Every Story. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing on your favorite podcast streaming app or sharing our podcast with your friends and family. And like I always say, share that podcast with random people because then you get a story of your own. We love to connect with others and hear what you have to say. And you can always find us on BehindEveryStory.com. Thank you so much for our guest this week, John Savast. It was an absolute pleasure having an amazing conversation with him. I'm your storyteller, Jason Osterkamp, and it's been a pleasure sitting around the campfire with you. Join us again next time on Behind Every Story.